Blog Talk Radio. Straight Talk Radio, where we discuss business, politics, and culture. I'm your host, Donja Keating, live from the Seattle area at 3 p.m. Pacific Time on Thursday, October 9th. Listeners, dial 646-378-0261 to chime in. Press 1 on your keypad when you're ready to speak. And uh, another reminder, the chat feature might be a bit wonky. So if you don't have a Blog Talk Radio account and want to chat with us instead of calling in live, make sure you open up an account if you want to do something like that. This afternoon, I am flying solo for a very short show, probably more of a commentary to talk about Ebola. And, uh, you know, the title of the show was Ebola is the Media Creating Mass Hysteria, but I think we're going to go a little bit beyond that. Some of the things that I hope to cover this afternoon, um, you know, what's known about it, what can we do about it, what's being done about it, are you at risk, uh, is, there, is the media really fear-mongering and causing mass hysteria, or uh, are we facing an epidemic here, is, and some other questions, even, you know, are we becoming a partisan about it? Is it breaking down along party lines? And is the mere backlash against fear-mongering affecting the information stream? And how do we get information that's relevant to us uh, amongst our peers and friends without feeling like we're adding to that, you know, adding some more uh, wood to the fire? So let's take it from the top. Uh, the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, usually uh, one of the primary sources of information about this. I think National Institutes of Health is another one, uh, but quite a few out there. Uh, you, you find something, you weed through it, uh, get away, you know, throw away the stuff that doesn't work for you, keep the stuff that does. But let's just kind of walk through some of the Ebola stuff uh, and, and what's out there and what we know. Uh, it's a rare and deadly disease. It's caused by infection uh, with one of the Ebola virus strains. It can cause disease in humans and non-human primates like monkeys and gorillas and chimpanzees. It's caused by infection uh, with a virus of five virus virus species and four of which are known to cause disease in humans. Now, the fifth one, which is Reston virus, has caused disease in non-human primates but not in humans. The Ebola viruses are found in several African countries. Uh, they were first discovered in 1976 near the Ebola River in what is now the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Since then, the outbreaks have appeared sporadically in Africa. Now, the natural uh, reservoir host of Ebola virus remains relatively unknown, but on the basis of evidence and the nature of similar viruses, researchers believe that the uh, virus is animal-borne and that bats are the most likely uh, carriers. So four of the five virus strains occur in animal hosts that are native to Africa. Some of the symptoms that uh, you should be looking for if you are unfortunately exposed to this would include a fever, which is greater than 38.6 centigrade, which or cel- yeah, what is Celsius, I would say, um, 101.5 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, and uh, severe headache, muscle pain, weakness, diarrhea, uh, vomiting, ab- abdominal stomach pain, unexplained hemorrhaging or bleeding or bruising, your symptoms are going to appear anywhere between 2 to 21 days after exposure to Ebola, but the average is about 8 to 10 days. And then the recovery obviously depends upon a good supportive clinical care network 
but also your, as a patient or a potential patient, your immune response. So people who recover, something important to know, who recover from the Ebola infection, they actually develop antibodies, and those can last for at least 10 years, I'm told. So 2014, what we're dealing with right now, sort of a different strain. Uh, The epidemic is the largest in history. It's affecting multiple countries in West Africa. A small number of cases in Lagos and Port Harcourt, Nigeria, have been associated with a man from Liberia who traveled to Lagos and died from Ebola. But the virus does not appear to have been widely spread in Nigeria. Uh, The case in Senegal is related to a man who actually traveled there from Guinea. So uh, late last month, uh, the CDC confirmed some more information. And again, you can keep checking. They have regular updates on their site, and I'll give you that uh, URL in a moment. But the first travel-associated case of Ebola to be diagnosed in the United States was back at the end of September. And CDC and its partners were taking precautions prior to that time, obviously, to prevent the spread of it within the United States. Uh, They were working with World Health Organization, other domestic and international partners, and they had activated an emergency operations center to help coordinate technical assistance and control activities with their partners. They had also deployed teams of public health experts to West Africa, and they're going to continue to send experts to those affected countries. Since that time, and as recent as yesterday, October 8th, yeah, let me get caught up on where I am in this whole thing. A confirmed case of Ebola was reported in Spain uh, late last month. They also confirmed the first travel-associated case of Ebola. That was diagnosed in the United States, uh, obviously set off panic, partisan warfare, uh, discussion about immigration, other social policies, health care. They've kind of broken down, again, like I said, along party lines. But maybe we'll get to that later. Um, and talking about vaccines, therapies, um, MAP Biopharmaceutical, they are trying to develop and manufacture what is known as ZMAP. And uh, they are trying to manufacture a small amount of the drug for early-stage clinical safety studies and non-clinical studies. And ZMAP is actually a therapy. It's not really a vaccine, but uh, National Institute of Health, they began initial human testing on an investigational vaccine to prevent uh, Ebola in early September. They're working with a company to develop an antiviral drug. And uh, I think U.S. Department of Defense, I just saw a chat come through. With that. Yeah, U.S. Department of Defense has funded two companies that are developing drug therapies for Ebola, and they're working with another company to develop an Ebola uh, vaccine. They have been keeping, I mentioned I was going to give you that URL, cdc.gov cdc.gov. That's where you're going to find a running update of notices, news, and things you can check out to to, uh, keep yourself apprised. That includes things like uh, level three travel notices that are out there for Liberia and Sierra Leone and Gede, uh, level one for Nigeria. But let's go over some counts. Let's put this in perspective. What are we dealing with? What have we been dealing with? And I just got a comment that maybe I'll get to later, again, that nobody cared about uh, Ebola when it was in Africa because apparently we didn't need anything from them, and now we care because it's stateside. So anyway, we'll get back to that. 8,000 total, 4,400 lab-confirmed cases, 3,800 total deaths in the African countries I mentioned before, two travel-associated cases, one in Senegal and one in the United States, with the latter being uh, recently confirmed as a death, which was the uh, man in Dallas. Uh, We'll talk about that for a second. So the patient was coming from West Africa. He apparently, according to reports, didn't have symptoms at first, 
but he developed them about five days after arriving in the United States. And he sought medical care at Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital of Dallas, and based upon his travel history and symptoms, the CDC recommended testing for Ebola. So Texas Health isolated him, sent specimens for testing at CDC. The results were reported to the medical center to inform the patient, and local public health officials began the process of identifying close contacts for further daily monitoring for 20 days, 21 days after that exposure. Of course, there were concerns about those contacts and whether or not it set off a chain of exposure, which might result in an epidemic. And um, there were some reports out there that the patient had 10 contacts, which qualified as definite exposure, and 38 that were possible for a total of 48. And there have been some other reports since then that have said that the exposure could have been as high as 100 people, if not more. So I think that, uh, you know, some of that back and forth about whether or not it's mass hysteria goes back to whether or not people feel like the truth is being given to them or whether it's just incomplete information or whether we're just kind of on the hurry-up plan trying to, to position ourselves to deal with something that's been just uh, devastating to to some African countries and people there. Um, with, with regard to the uh, the Dallas case, getting back to that, there the people that were on the same flight with him were not advised to undergo monitoring, monitoring at the time, since the uh, CDC indicates that Ebola is only contagious if the person is experiencing active symptoms, and the person, yeah, the patient that we're talking about, only reported developing symptoms several days after the return flight. Again, there's some contention about this, which contributed to the rising hysteria about whether or not he was aware and he just didn't divulge it and how he was treated with the hospital when he showed up and how they sent him back and uh, just a lot of other things there. And there were also some accusations about why the Dallas patient wasn't given any treatment and uh, why the National Institutes of Health got experimental therapy to the two U.S. patients in Liberia but couldn't get uh, something to him. And, of course, that started to break down on racial lines. Uh, but, you know, folks, this is this is Africa. I, I think that is a fair comment that most of them have been black. So, I mean, I don't, uh, you know, I'm not dismissing that, that charge. But I, according to the reports, this was actually privately arranged by Samaritan's Purse. Uh, it's a private humanitarian organization that employed one of the Americans who contracted the virus. They are the ones that contacted CDC, and then they were referred to National Institutes of Health, and then they were uh, given the information, um, the organization with the contacts at the private company, which was developing the treatment. So whatever it is, it is, but, you know, that's what we have. And so some of the concern that we're seeing out here, you know, we when we when we prepare for a show, we always do sort of a test case where there are some people that have agreed to receive the questions that we're thinking about and the topics that we're thinking about and to get back to us and say, well, we think this would be a great topic and we don't think it will and these are some of the things that I would ask and, you know, these are some of the, the things you should consider. And so some of the things that we got back were that the concerns we're seeing out there are due to ignorance. Well, that's obvious. Uh, some of them are due to suspicion and mistrust about the information that's being shared, by whom it's being shared, uh, the government in general, just don't trust the government. But what's happening and relevant uh, are the preventative actions like what we just saw as a report the other day, the enhanced Ebola airport screening and the new tracking program for all people that are entering the U.S. from Ebola-affected countries. Um, there are four airports right now that receive over 94% of travelers from Guinea and uh, Liberia and Sierra Leone. And it looks like it's going to be JFK, which is Kennedy International in New York, 
Dulles, obviously, in D.C., Newark, which is also in the New York metro area, Chicago O'Hare, which is a major hub, you know, airport hub anyway, and Atlanta International. So there are also several news reports out there about how the CDC is working to prepare U.S. healthcare facilities about how to safely manage a patient that has suspected Ebola virus disease and some hospitals that are actually volunteering to accept those patients. Now, Harborview is one of those in the Seattle area, which is kind of what uh, got us into um, the idea about doing the show because of some of the things that we we are involved in out there. Uh, I'll get back to that. But I hope that what we've done here, just for a few minutes, is to uh, set forth some information, at least for the record, and you can refer back to the podcast and cross-check it with anything else that's being shared in the public. And if our information is wrong or incomplete or it can be augmented, then, hey, you know, by all means, go onto our face page, Facebook page at Straight Talk Radio. Uh, that's S-T-R-8 Talk Radio. And uh, let us know. I mean, we, we have no dog in this fight except for the uh, you know fact that we want everyone to be well and we want everyone to be prepared. But we don't have any um, left or right position on this. It, that, it, this. These are people. These are lives. This is a disease. There's no time for that. You've got to you've got to make sure that you're um, informed. But what what sparked our interest? Mine, anyway, I, I think eventually I got into a forum, was the backlash against a person who actually posted the Harborview press release that I mentioned where they indicated they were willing to take some people when they come into the United States in our area that may have the, the virus. And so the question that was on top of that post was, Ebola at Harborview? That's it. I mean, you can extrapolate and, and try to assume what that question meant, but Obviously, the immediate accusation was that that person was fear-mongering, and, and it got really shouted down and screamed at, and you know it kind of broke down into you know, the whole left and right inference. And it led to a discussion about how the mere mention of Ebola inspires fear. Now, that's understandable. It's something that's killing people. It's something that you feel that you can't control. It's like MERS and all the other things that we've had, you know, swine flu, bird flu, that have killed many, many people in different parts of the world as we tried as medical professionals to get a handle on it and to treat it. So, of course, there's going to be some unsettling uh, sentiment, but I don't entirely agree with the idea that the mere mention of information about Ebola is what inspires the fear. What matters is what you're saying. What matters is when you're saying it. What matters is how you're saying it. And certainly there are, there are going to be people out there who are afraid no matter what. And I understand that some people are speaking to that. But fear-mongering is something very specific. It's an exaggerated, repeated mention of something. And its effort is to alarm, not to inform, and to try to second guess when someone's going to be alarmed and to then say we're never going to share any information even if it's something that is medical or relevant or simple. You know, I don't think that's the way to go here. I also think that uh, pretending everything is under control is misleading. It's false. I've spent a significant amount of time in the medical profession, and I can tell you that we don't know everything, and some things we do try to figure out, and yes, we'll do our best to prepare ourselves for anything that we're facing, but complacency is not the way to go here. Our concerns towards improving a situation are in part what drives innovation. It drives us towards cures. And if we just sat there, la-di-da, you know, twiddling our thumbs, saying that everything's under control and that anyone that has any kind of concern or panic is being ridiculous, well, that's just not realistic. So let's talk about a couple other things I, I found out there. Pew Research 
they conducted a poll, and that poll indicated that the majority of Americans believe the government can stop a major Ebola outbreak. 57% of the poll respondents said that they either had a great or fair amount of confidence in the government's ability to prevent an outbreak of the disease. Only 32% said that they were very or somewhat worried that they or someone in their family might come into contact with the deadly disease. And Harvard School of Public Health also published an article this past August. Of course, you know, it's a few months back. But it indicated that although the CDC hadn't yet reported any known cases of Ebola transmission in the United States, 4 in 10, or 39% of adults in the U.S. were concerned that there will be a large outbreak here, and only a quarter, which is 26%, were concerned that they or someone in their immediate family may get sick with Ebola over the next year. So those numbers obviously might be changing now that there is a fatality out there, um, but it's hard to ignore that there was a 95% confidence level before this, despite media's repetitious sharing of the outbreak in Africa. I'm a realist. I get it. Uh, and the stories pouring in about the doctor at Atlanta Airport showing up in full gear and accusing CDC of sugarcoating the truth, I mean, that's kind of hard to ignore because he's a doctor and... You know, he deals with emergency patients, and he, I believe he was a microbiologist. So it's not something that you can uh, ignore. And then there were some health officials that recently tested potential cases in Newark and Miami Beach and Washington, D.C. All of those patients tested neg- negative, but again, you can't stick your head in the sand. So uh, try to strike a balance, and the bottom line is you stay informed. You, you take the partisan sound bites with a grain of salt. You try to steer clear of distracting rhetoric to keep yourself abreast of what's going on. And as some of our worst worst fears are realized and Ebola spreads more throughout our population, which I sincerely hope uh, doesn't happen, then the same rules apply about preventative and proactive care. You you trust, but you verify. So I'm going to take a look and see if there's anything out here that uh, Chris wants me to... Uh Uh-oh. Well, there are some people that have come in, but they're just basically kind of listening. Wait a minute. Let me check. I think we do have somebody... Hello, is there somebody out there? There is somebody out here. Oh, wow. I've just been going on and on, and I'm seeing the, the chats come in and out and people logging in and logging out, and now I hear Charles. Hey, Charles. Hey there. So, yeah, what you're talking you like about Ebola. I well, am. We should all run for the hills. <laughs> but, you know, let's just, we, gotta, we just have to basically watch out what's happening. You know, I think, I think people are, um, I think they're right to be concerned, um, not, not to panic, um, but that e- Ebola is harder to transmit than, than flu. Um, but that's not to say that we don't have to take precautions because, um, you know, I think that the outbreak in Africa has been very troubling because they just don't have the healthcare systems to be able to deal with it. So I think that's been part of the problem as well. But that's Ebola is not the only issue. It's all the other potential diseases out there that as the world gets smaller and people travel more, you know, they have to deal with outbreaks of anything. I mean, I think the enterovirus 68 that is happening in the Midwest and uh, other places uh, and this killing school kids, you know, that, that concerns me just as much. Mm-hmm. So you I know, think there's, a, you know, it's a tune-up for them. They have to get ready. And I think that's what they're really, uh, they're starting to highlight, you know, hey, we got to be ready for these things. What do you think about the reports that uh, just came through about the dog that was euthanized because of the contact that 
I don't know if it was a, a male or a female dog, so pardon me on that, but the dog was put to sleep because of its contact with a woman who actually was confirmed to have Ebola virus? You know, I mean, I think they're trying to err on the side of safety. I mean, I, I'm, you know, sorry to the animal rights people, but, you know, uh, other other species are vectors for transmitting diseases. Uh, Ebola is not originally, uh, you know, originated in primates and monkeys and stuff like that and, and jumped, jumped to humans. Um, flu viruses jump from pigs to people, and uh, some of them are avian or poultry and stuff like that, so they go from birds to people. So, I mean, it's not unknown. I, I don't know what the why, why they euthanize the dog if they consider the dog a potential threat. I mean, I'm sorry to say it, I mean, but that's, you know, something they have to be able to uh, account for. I think it's the same thing with the people who won't get quarantined. You know, if they are going to represent a threat, you know, that's going to become an issue. And they're going to be, uh, yeah. they're going to be locked up until they can be proved to be uh, non-harmful to others. Yeah, I think once you are in a situation where you're identified as someone who has been in contact with someone exposed to the virus, you don't have an option to say that you're not going to be quarantined. I, I thought that was just amazing that somebody would would want to know that and, and to be aware of the fact that they were a potential risk and still not care and still not want to be quarantined. This is not you know a party that you're being invited to and you can just RSVP yes or no. I mean, this is a serious issue and you are going to be quarantined and that's just it. Um, I think that the other part of it is uh, the story where the the uh, aid workers that were trying to help and treat Ebola over in Africa, and they were chased down, uh, journalists and some government officials and some aid workers. They were chased down, and they were hacked to death. Uh, and the reason why they were hacked to death is because it was believed that they were not actually bringing um, virus or, or treatments and to help with Ebola, but they were actually coming in to infect a population with with a disease and, and with the um, intent to exterminate them. And I, you know, I've read a lot of different reports and responses to that where people were saying, "Oh, well, you can't help the ignorant, and they're the, they're a part of their own problem and so forth." But you know, that that's a little simplified, and and um, you know, some of these so. people I, are. I say it's simplified. Yeah, they, it there wouldn't are be some, the first some, time some, that disease or starvation has been used as a weapon. So for exactly. somebody sitting over here to just say, well, they're just ignorant, doesn't know that Saddam Hussein used starvation as a weapon and killed hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, how many people know that? They don't. Well, I guess that's a different form of ignorance. So for them to say these people in Africa were concerned that these workers were coming in, well... In some cases, it could have been inadvertently spread. Sometimes it's the uh, the healthcare workers. I mean, obviously, they take more precautions, and they're obviously uh, trying to trying to prevent disease. But sometimes, you know, it's transmitted on surfaces or instruments. So these people are not, you know, I wouldn't just write them off as completely ignorant. They're concerned, you know. And I think part of the uh, the stopping of the disease has been the, not only quarantined, but you know, to call um, curfews. Keep people inside, you know, uh, keep people away from each other so that there is no uh, possibility for the disease to be transmitted uh, by people walking around. Yeah, so, and I, I, you know, thinking about those stories, I mean, I've spent some time over in uh, Africa. I've spent some time in Asia. I've spent some time in Europe um, doing a lot of capacity building projects, building schools, aquifers. Um, community centers, uh, you know, a lot of you know, medical uh, doctors without borders. 
a lot of things that you're doing, labor and, and, and uh, environmental work over there. And, I, it, you know, there are some, some very interesting and troubling things that have happened in those, those areas over the years that do not always make it to press. So you know, on the on the one hand, I think yes, it's very unfortunate that we were not able to um, have the trust when we were trying to help. But on the other hand, I know that there are some experimental things that have been done that that breed that fear. So it's a very unfortunate situation. And as I said earlier, trust but verify. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, it is unfortunate, and um, not having enough information on the whole scenario. I mean, it. it, it it seems on its face that you know you know fear and ignorance creates problems, but you know too many other things have happened, and there's too much water under the bridge to just assume it's just uh, just ignorance at play. You know people are concerned about you know foul play, and I wouldn't completely write those concerns off. I just don't I just don't know the truth. I'm just not going to assume that. Well, yeah, you know it's just it's just this is everything has happened by chance because not everything has happened by chance. Sometimes they've been used as weapons. Disease is a very powerful weapon. So is starvation. So is cutting off the power. You know, we're, we live mm-hmm. in very unsettling times right now um, when you look across the world at uh, all the things that are going on. And um, as a result, I think it, it pays to pay attention. Yes, and I, I, you know, some of these things, when you when you get used to traveling and you get used to living in other places and becoming a part of the culture and understanding what it's like to be there beyond the sound bites, beyond the news stories, you you become accustomed to um, the reality of even geography and how rough and difficult their terrain is in trying to navigate and bring some of the resources to bear that we take for granted. Uh, it's it's a very uh, unforgiving, in a lot of ways, uh, predicament to be in. And you know, I I really my hat my hat is off to those aid workers and the dedicated professionals who give of their time and their freedom in a lot of cases, uh, their relative freedom or comparative freedom, and they go over there and they try to make the world a, a better place. So it's. Uh, it's unfortunate when you hear the stories of those that are treating the patients of Ebola and then they end up themselves infected. Uh, but you know, I, I just what, what do you think is the future here in terms of what the United States uh, and other Western countries are going to face regarding it? Um, well, I think this is going to be contained, and I think the you know there's there's you know quite a bit of uh, posturing around you know oh we haven't done enough. There are other areas where we haven't done enough, um, I think, you know. But I think when it comes to Ebola, I think this is this is kind of a wake-up call to be prepared uh, for, for um, you know, basically it's a tune-up for the CDC and the Centers for Disease Control um, to, to, to be prepared when there are outbreaks and to have resources in play. And, you know, think about the flu outbreak that happened last year. You know, and 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 it was a couple of years ago that they did not have sufficient flu stocks, um, you know, to get, to inoculate everybody, and they were worried about the you know the more severe strain of the flu that was killing a lot of people. You know, so yeah, I, I think this is just another one on the continuum that we are just going to have to be prepared for. What do you think about the uh, accusations about fear mongering? Do you think that the media is fear mongering? Do you think that they're trying to inform? Do you think that there's something in between? What, what do you what, what do you consider appropriate 
levels of information so that people can keep themselves advised and apprised? Um, I don't know if it, I would call it fear-mongering, but I would say that there's political posturing that's occurring. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of finger-pointing that says, you know, there hasn't been sufficient uh, responses to X. You know, you know, Obama didn't, you know, properly respond to the situation. I, I think that's there's a, there's a bit of opportunism in some of that. Uh, you can't you can't create a craft a perfect response in every scenario. You know, some of these things have to be dealt with as they appear. Uh, if we were putting res- resources into preventing an Ebola outbreak that didn't happen, people would say we were wasting our money. You know, so there, there's no right answer. I think it's the way to say it. So um, for for people to be legitimately concerned, yes, I, I think they should watch uh, and see what happens. Um, I think the media is playing it up a little bit because, again, I think this disease is harder to transmit than other diseases. And as a result, um, since it's not an airborne disease, um, it's going to be a little bit, it's not, it's not like the flu. Um, but there could be in the future, you know, other diseases that do transmit like the flu that are airborne that are dangerous, and that would be a real concern. So I think that's where we have to put our focus. Yeah, I agree with you that it does break down into partisan, you know, how can we take a shot at Obama or how can we take a shot at Bush or how can we take a shot at Clinton or whoever's sitting in the, uh, you know, the hot seat and we happen to be from the opposing side. And I, I just think it's one of the most mindless things that I, I come across. I don't understand why people feel like our government should fail or everything should be good or everything should be bad simply because they fall along a certain ideological line politically. It, it just seems, it's just an inane thing and I just don't know how to even, uh, to, to even even rationalize or, or even take it seriously. So it's just one of those things. It looks to me like we're almost out. I guess we are out of town. We went faster than I thought we were going to go. Well, okay. Thanks for tuning in this afternoon. You can find this broadcast as a podcast at the site you're using right now or on Facebook at Black's backslash STR8 Talk Radio. That's Sammy Tommy Roger 8 Talk Radio. Next week, we'll have Kim Steffi as a guest, and he'll describe his efforts to build Kids F4. Meanwhile, this is your host, Sonia Keating, signing off at about 3.30 p.m. Pacific Time, Thursday, October 9th. See you next week.